The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Get a free program at dockedge.nz. Hindmarsh. This week, the story of an amazing figure in early New Zealand exploration. That is, when I say early New Zealand exploration, I mean European and, I suppose you could say, the secondary Polynesian exploration of New Zealand as well, because Captain Cook had on board the most valuable piece of information holding cargo, and that was a bloke by the name of Tupaya. And being Tahitian, he could understand a fair amount of what was being said. And oh my word, what a difference that made. Jared, you have an affinity with the, the Tahitian side of things as well. Yeah, well, I've just come back again from Tahiti, where I actually researched the story of Tupaya as well. And it was one of my amazing privileges last week on this trip to be able to paddle and scud under sail in traditional uh, waha, which is the waka, of course, and to meet some of Tahiti's top paddlers and even look at the whole navigation and seamanship of the early Polynesians. But a real highlight for me was meeting the crew aboard Tahiti's modern version of a traditional voyaging canoe. This is a boat called the Fa. Fafiti. Now, this is a 22-metre double-hull canoe, and next year it's going to sail down to Apua in the Bay of Islands and meet up with the seven other Pacific voyaging waka, including New Zealand's Hini Moa, for the Cook's 250 celebrations. Now, of course, the crew, they're quite a radical lot, actually. They told me they weren't coming to celebrate Cook at all. They were coming to commemorate Tupaya, the remarkable Tahitian navigator who, who Captain Cook took aboard at uh, Raratea to, to find his way around the islands and then down to New Zealand. It's a remarkable story, this of Tupaya. I'd like to go out and say, actually, on a limb, that Captain Cook's voyage to New Zealand would not have been successful if, if Tupaya had not been on board. He's not very well known, Tupaya, in the New Zealand story, if you like. It's so, so Eurocentric with it, isn't it? But Joan Druitt put out a remarkable book. I think it won the New Zealand Post 2012 Best General Nonfiction Book Award. Uh, it was just called Tupaya. And we you know we're always told what great navigators these ancient Polynesians were, but we've seldom had it demonstrated. And I think that the story of Tupaya really brings it out. Um, Anne Salmon's books have covered Tupaya really, really well as well. Yeah. He certainly had a bit of expose, but we still concentrate on this Cook thing, don't we, and banks and stuff. But, you know, Tapaya came as an equal to Cook, if you like. He was described as an absolutely extraordinary genius. Uh, he piloted the Endeavour all around the South Pacific, really, and incredibly invaluable with interceding with the Maori in New Zealand, who, you know, after hundreds of years of non-contact, could still totally understand him. It was amazing. But he was a gifted linguist. He was a 
brilliant orator and uh, a most devious politician he's been described as. He could aptly be called the Machiavelli of the of Tahiti or the Pacific, actually. He, he was highly skilled in astronomy, uh, navigation, uh, meteorology. He was an expert in the geography of the Pacific. And he was able to cite directional stars and predict landfalls and weather throughout Cook's voyage from Tahiti to Java as well. So he knew 70 island groups all the way down to New Zealand. There was absolutely incredible knowledge that he had. There was no doubt that Cook was onto a winner when he took him aboard. But of course, taking on these indigenous people and taking them somewhere else is always kind of fraught. The meetings of two cultures aboard a, a ship at such a crucible of things, and, and they never work out usually. And it's got a tragic story to it. It really does. I mean, Joseph Banks is famous for his detailed and very perceptive descriptions of the manners and customs of the Polynesian people, but much of the credit for this goes to Tapia. Not only did Tapia become one of the ship's most important artists as well, and, and you know, one of his drawing of Banks trading crayfish with a Maori is on the cover. It's a kind of a simplistic drawing, you know, almost sort of childlike, but it has so much detail on it, and that's on the cover of Joan Druitt's book. I think it's a beautiful one. It really shows a lot but he drew lots of pictures to illustrate what he described and in some ways, you know, there's a lot of people have called him the Pacific's first real anthropologist, you know. Mm. It was the greatest piece of luck that Tupaya was aboard. No one would have known that stage at all that the languages would be closely enough related that you could get by. That was just a great piece of luck. Yeah, it was. His whole life is an astounding biography, it really is. I mean, he was born a very noble person, if you like, but it was a time of war in the Pacific. There really were, I visited a marae over there, a fantastic um, huge marae where the, the canoes used to leave Rarotea to come to New Zealand. Tupaya obviously played a part there at this marae too, and the whole marae is devoted to Oro, who was the god of war. And things were in a great state of upheaval when the Europeans came to Tahiti, really. But unlike Cook, you know, Tapaya was nobly born. His family was one of the elite of Raiatea in the society islands there, and they had extensive land holdings in the north. He was described as very tall and handsome, strong, athletic and extraordinarily intelligent, all of which qualified him to be one of the select few who were chosen at the great marae, which I just mentioned, Tapu Tapu Aeta. Uh, that's on Raiatea's southern coast, but this place is absolutely incredible, Graham. It's one of the most amazing monuments that I've seen, really, there's a sort of altars that rise out of these two-dimensional marais of stone, square and elongated areas of stone, all carefully laid. It's a beautiful place. Some of the footprints of these altars and marais are well over the size of a football field, and they go on for ages along the coast there. It's quite an incredible place. And it was very moving. My guide said to me, tonight, so much has gone on here you're going to feel heavy tonight. Just know that. I want you to know that because any Polynesian that comes here 
feels heavy. And it was a strange thing, but, you know, maybe it was auto-suggestion or something, Graham, but I did feel pretty weird that night. And our guide said to us, look at that plateau, the Tokumaru Plateau at the top of the mountains there. That's where the Maori souls go after they leave Cape Prianga. So I always actually did wonder, Graham, where the Maori souls went after they... I know they went back to Hawaii, but, of course, Raratea, the old name for Raratea was Hawaiki, which is dead ringer, everything. It's obvious that um, all the DNA matches as well now. We have a very good picture of that. Tahiti, particularly Raratea, was a, a really major departure point for Maori to New Zealand. Yeah, no, there's um, a lot of evidence that's that. And not all on one occasion either. Things can be uh, messy as well, you know, a couple of voyages, maybe one from there, Rarotonga, Rarotonga back, Rarotonga to here, all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, definitely all the indicators uh, point to Tahiti. If you want to call it Hawaii, yeah. It looks like we found it. Yeah, it's just taken for granted over there. It's quite amazing, much more than here, obviously. They say many married people come there too. And they, my, my guide uh, I was saying he was actually cutting a track up to this plateau, uh, or, or close to it anyway, so that when married people came to New Zealand, he could take them up there. So it was interesting, some of the things that are happening. But anyway, uh, back to, to Pai's early life. After consecration, if you like, as a tahua or a priest. Uh, God, all the words are this, almost the same, aren't they? Tahua, tohua, tohunga. Yeah, you could easily see why Tapaya would be able to communicate with Mary very easily, actually. Well, relatively easily. It might be like someone in East End of London trying to understand someone in Glasgow, but you'll get there. Yeah, just a matter of working out key words, I suppose. But he, he specialised in star navigation. There could be a sort of university course that became a specialty, if you like. It was interesting, they had a measuring stone at one of these marais. All the men had to come along and be measured for their height, and they be allocated what they would specialise in. They could become paddlers, they could become frontline warriors. But Tapaya, after he specialised in star navigation, he moved on to a three-year cadetship called the Arioi Society and he graduated as an honoured wayfinder, which was his basically his job task. So it's quite interesting. They, they had very very set occupations that they were directed into. Now, in 1757, when Tapaya was probably in his mid-30s, he had a very sort of glamorous existence, if you like, but it totally fell apart. Now, Raiatea was invaded by warriors from the neighbouring island of Bora Bora, and he was gravely wounded in the battle. He, he recovered, but it took nearly three years, and he was eventually forced to leave Tahiti, and the, it became a sort of a mission of saving from the invaders two highly sacred objects. This is of the oral history of Tapaya. One was an idol of the god Oro, the god of war, and Maru Ura, which is a red-feathered loincloth used for the coronation of a supreme chief. Now, Tapaya, it is said, got these two items back, and bearing these, he arrived at Papara in the south, where he was given a refuge by the chief Omo and his wife, Purea. So that was a huge change of circumstances for him, but he still 
honoured his occupation, that he was the bringer, the carrier of these sacred objects. Now, he demonstrated his great talent for survival. He actually became Chief Armo's trusted advisor, and he also became the lover of his wife, Perea. That's quite in line with Tahitian ways, if you're high-born there's a certain amount of tolerance for that sort of thing, so we're quite accepted. But soon the high priest of all Tahiti he was actually promoted to. He was back in a position of privilege, and fate intruded yet again with the arrival of the British frigate Dolphin, which was commanded by Captain Samuel Wallace. Now, this was on the 19th of June, 1767, and Tahiti had been discovered by the Europeans. Right what a life he had after this and it's imprinted on New Zealand's history. We'll take a break and come back with the life and times of Tahitian Tupaya who accompanied Cook on the endeavoured voyage to New Zealand. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. For details visit dockedge.nz Outsiders with Gerard Hindmarsh, the amazing life of Tupaya. And what a lucky thing it was that Cook's first voyage here on the Endeavour, 1769, uh, had him aboard because it meant the British could at least understand a bit. And it seems as though Tupaya did pretty well. Apparently harder in the South Island to understand the locals. But in any case, boy, what would the Endeavour contact, first contact in New Zealand have been like without him? He certainly made a difference, there's no doubt about that. Okay, Tupaya, he's an aristocrat, shall we say, in, in Tahitian society. In 1767, there's European contact. What happens? Captain Samuel uh, Wallace, basically one of the first Europeans to, to enter that part of the Pacific. Now, Wallace was in desperate straits when he arrived in Tahiti. Since April the 11th, when he first entered the Pacific, that was in 1767, the ship had traversed this vast expanse of ocean in this sort of crazy vain search for the great southern continent. But all his men had scurvy. There were only a few that didn't, and everyone knew even then that... They it could only be cured by eating fresh vegetables and fruit, so the sight of these lush plantations was hailed with delight when they saw them. And for a short while, the Englishmen were able to trade. They exchanged nails and spikes for pigs, poultry and fruit. And the thieving, what was perceived as thieving by the locals, started to lead to a lot of conflict, however, and it culminated in a full-blooded attack on the ship in Matavai Bay. Now, this is in Tahiti. And a whole fleet of canoes descended on it, and they were countered by this savage broadside of cannon. It was something the indigenous people had never heard or seen before. Now, Chief Amo ordered all his canoes to retreat. He was terrified, but Tapias immediately saw the political advantage of an alliance with the violent strangers who obviously had greater firepower than them, or greater weapons, if you like. So, he convinced Chief Armo that he and Perea approached the ship and they were welcomed by Captain Wallace, indicating that they were coming in peace. And Captain Wallace was well aware that he needed a local monarch to cede the island to Britain to sort of bolster his earlier declaration of possession by right of conquest. Now... There was no such monarch, but Perea had the necessary regal bearing to pass 
as the Queen of Otahiti, as it was written, but advised by the very perceptive Tupaya. She played the role to perfection, and when trade for provisions proceeded, the trade in sex, of course, became even busier. This is Tahiti, and the woman of Tahiti and the men, too, had no great hang-ups about this. This is where the stories come that the seamen would trade a nail out of the boat for sex, because the iron was so valuable, but the seamen wrenched so many nails out of the hull of the ship to pay their girlfriends that the dolphin was in danger of actually falling apart. That much sex. Yeah, amazing, isn't it? And Wallace, of course, was forced to make it a lashing offence if anyone pulled another nail out of the boat. And those nail spikes were, were valuable items. Interestingly, didn't make any difference to Maori people. They weren't interested in those nails at all. But the Tahitians were. Now, Wallace, he cut the contact with the Tahitians. Now, for Tapia, the loss of, of a very influential connection with Wallace because Wallace had decided to go. He'd sailed off around Tahiti, and it was soon followed by another disaster, because in December 1768, Chief Amo and his wife Puraya were attacked by forces led by two rival chiefs. Their names were Vihiatua and Tutaaha, and they successfully wiped out, basically, Amo and Puraya's um, armies, if you like. Now, Tupaya saved his life by changing sides, and he became one of Chief Tutaha's courtiers now. So he was a very flexible man, Graham. He could figure out who was losing, who was winning, and he was quite prepared to switch sides to be on the winning side if that was necessary. Right. But he was in a much humbler position now. But the endeavour commanded by Captain James Cook, that arrived uh, in Tahiti on the 13th of April, 1769. He didn't make himself known initially to Pyre, but four of Cook's crew had previously served on the Dolphin and had made it onto the Endeavour crew list. And they were aware of this vague connection that Tupaya had with the Queen, as they called it. And when Chief Tutaha visited Cook's ship on a peacemaking visit, if you like, Cook took the opportunity to recruit four of the Polynesians to the crew. The ship's roster for 18th of April 1769 records now that Tairoa, Nahuhau, Tomita and Tupaya, who's described as a native of Polynesia, had been enlisted as guides and intermediaries along with Tupaya's young apprentice, if you like. He was called Tayata. And now this was a boy Cook assumed was Tapia's servant. He wasn't actually, he was an apprentice, a navigational apprentice. The intention was that these men would be part of the crew, but only when they were in Tahiti. Now, attitudes towards Tapia particularly changed over the next three months when these Polynesians were aboard. The, the four sailors on the Dolphin particularly remembered somehow that he was important and he'd learned enough English also to impart his special knowledge. So he stuck out, you see. He must have also been speaking to people on the Dolphin because he was now speaking partly English on the ship as well, on Cook's ship as well. 
And not only did he relate sort of mythology and, and introduces the Englishman to the traditions and culture of Tahiti, but he drew very compelling artworks to illustrate what he was describing whenever he talked. And one particularly important sketch shows the costume of a chief mourner in a funeral ceremony in which Joseph Banks participated, while another is four Tahitian musicians. It's the only surviving image of everyday life in Tahiti at that time. Amazing to have anything by him, really. They just speak volumes, don't they? Oh, they do. Sometime during their time on the boat, Banks got very close to Tapaya action, and he proposed that they should take him back to England. Now, this was a sort of time of the noble savage, you know, and Banks felt that maybe they'd found, they'd finally found the noble savage and that and maybe they could parade him back in London before the Queen. And Cook was terribly reluctant. He knew that the government would not meet the expense of an exotic guest, so he was dead against it. But Banks, of course, had a private fortune and he volunteered to take financial responsibility for Tapaya. Now, Banks famously wrote, I do not know why I may not keep him as a curiosity, as well as some of my neighbours do lions and tigers at a larger expense than he will probably ever put me to. So, you know, that's, that was the sort of attitude they have of him, if you like. Because if Tapaya had suspected this, of course, he probably would have turned down the opportunity, but he agreed to sail but on the condition that he take his young apprentice, Tayata, with him, for the Europeans, this was a godsend. And for Tapaya and Tayata, it would only prove to be tragic. Well, there's the encounter with New Zealand to come, of which Tupaya was such an important part. This is the Endeavour trip with Cook Banks et al. We'll take a short break and we'll be back with the story of Tupaya very shortly. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. Enter online for a VIP experience. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. This week, the story of Tupaya, who accompanied Cook and the Endeavour uh, expedition to New Zealand from Tahiti. And there is a relatively close link between the languages. It would prove vital. So, Tupaya... I just suppose it's a reasonably brave thing to go with a bunch of weird-looking people that are complete strangers in a boat that you've never seen the sort of before, at least only once before, and go, yeah, I'll have a crack at that. Oh, absolutely. You can just imagine leaving, and, and it was recorded that there was a huge tears when they left Tahiti amongst the Polynesians there. They couldn't believe that these two men were leaving, but as soon as they set off, everything seemed to go well. Tapaya navigated a course to Wahini, which is, um, could be Wahini, if you like, more correctly, and from there they went to Raiatea, where he guided a party. Now, this is including Banks and Cook over the Great Marae, which is Tapu Tapu Aitea, which I told you about now. The Europeans didn't realise it at the time, just how sacred it was. And they went around just half-haphazardly looking at things. And there's no doubt that Tupaya saved their lives with fast talk after Banksy. He actually desecrated a little godhouse in one of the altars by thrusting his hand inside and groping at the tarpa-wrapped god. You know, it was just like the events to come. It really signified some of the events to come in New Zealand, is that the Europeans did often blunder their way into situations and 
a bit like Abel Tasman and virtually could be annihilated for it. But Tapia could smooth things over. He was there saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, we've made a mistake. These people are good intentioned. You don't need to kill them. I don't even think Cooks and Banks even realised at the time. Mm, Yeah, perhaps not. No. Now, he was very useful after leaving Ratea too, as, as Cooks and Bank, they mined his knowledge for their written accounts. They recorded everything that he said, and he felt very needed. I think it was a great thing for him, but not only did he describe the Tahitian way of life, he, he drew a picture showing how battles were fought on war canoes, and he also created this iconic map of the Pacific. He dictated the names of 74 islands and demonstrated the sort of whole wayfinder's knowledge of the Pacific. It was a happy time for him, that initial part of the voyage. Now, as the endeavour left the tropics, the situation deteriorated. Now, Tapia urged Cook to sail west, promising him an, an abundance of islands, but Cook refused, and he said he was following orders, and he sailed south uh, as per his instructions to search for the great southern continent. Now, acutely aware that he'd lost his role as a navigator and interpreter of sort of language and custom, there were no islands. Now, Tapia became terribly depressed and withdrawn, and I can say there is a kind of a Polynesian almost like a childlike quality they have that when they're friends, they're friends, but when they're not needed, they become almost destitute. And this is how Tapia felt. And another conflict developed as Tapia refused to eat the strange food that Cook kept ploughing into his crew to prevent scurvy. So when the east coast of New Zealand was sighted, that was on the 6th of October, 1769, Tapia's advice was not sought, actually, at all. He was in a bad way. He had uh, initially had a bit of scurvy, not too bad, but he was in a bad state of mind, and the party went from the ship onto shore two days later, and Tapia was not included in this. Now, the immediate outcome was disastrous. Cook and Banks, with two other men, were exploring a deserted village. Um, Marines, they were left to guard the boat. They shot dead a man who was armed only with a spear who approached them. Now, a man called Tamaro of the local Teatianga Haitaiti people, uh, it's described, but recognising now his vulnerable position, Cook had the sense, he realised now that he had to include Tapia in the shore party next day, which was very unfortunate as there were 50 warriors arrived with the intention of seizing their ship. And to their utter astonishment, Tupaya just walked up to them and introduced himself in a language they could understand. Yeah, that's an incredible thing, isn't it? It is. Now, instead of attacking, now the Maori party was totally worked up. They were going to take the ship. They suddenly just put down their spears, stood them on the sand, and they started to confer with this newcomer. And they, and Cook was very buoyed. He realised now that he could barter for fresh water and provisions. But it was not the end of the difficulties, because unlike the Tahitians, the Maoris were not interested in trading for nails. And Cook actually had a whole lot of nails on board to trade. And almost immediately, they realised that the Europeans had exceptional firepower they had some sort of weapon that they didn't understand but they wanted 
there was one incident where a fight developed over a cutlass and it led to the shooting of a prominent chief. And in the chaos that followed, several fleeing warriors were shot as well. And then a botched attempt to kidnap seven fishermen resulted in the death of four of them. They were going to apprehend them. But to Pyre, he walked forward again. He used the same diplomacy that had served the Europeans so well in Rarotei. He smoothed over the situation. And Cook realised how touch and go this whole New Zealand thing was, of course. And he retreated from that first landfall in a very sombre frame of mind. Yeah, he was very unhappy, wasn't he? Yeah. Now, interactions with the Maori remained very confused, and as the endeavour sailed along the east coast of the North Island, war canoes um, raced out at one point, and their paddlers roaring a challenge, and Tapaia interpreted as, come on shore and fight like men. But they were countered by Tapaia's warning, yelling out to them that European firepower was fatal, don't mess with us. Some of the uh, Maori became curious enough to paddle close then and talk with Tapaia and the encounters became more and more friendly and there were exchanges of Tahitian tarpa cloth for Maori artefacts and seafood and it inspired Tapaia's iconic portrait of Banks bargaining with a crayfish that I told you about before. Uh, it's on the cover of Joan Druitt's book. And then the Maori came to a realisation that Tapaia was very high status and that was sort of recognised and the, the diplomatic overtures were made by local chiefs and it enabled Cook to anchor and water at places and also to do his surveying, of course. But uh, on shore, Tapaia was greeted as an honoured guest. He was clothed in valuable cloaks. He was entrusted with ancient treasures. And, you know, the remarkable thing, Graham, he was disassociated with his homeland for, like, maybe 500 years. Who knows? The Maori people were. But the elders, the priests, chiefs and their people, they welcomed this. Like, it was like a heaven-sent chance to reclaim their past. Hundreds gathered to hear Tapaia preach and priests engaged him in religious discussions and as the ship sailed north to the Bay of Islands, Tapai was welcomed and fated. He was a valued interpreter and mediator for the Maori people as well as the Europeans. There's no doubt that if he hadn't been on Cook's boat, it wouldn't have been a successful mission. And who knows, would we not be British? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. So Tupaya was clearly regarded as they, the Maori understood from what Tupaya was saying, that he came from where they com came from. Oh, yeah, of course, Graham. Not only that, but he was an orator. He, he could recite all sorts of things and tell them that he was a navigator. I mean, a navigator is regarded nearly as important as a chief in Polynesia. So, you know, he was pretty high up. He was welcomed and fated. He was a valued interpreter and mediator for the Maori people as well as for the Europeans. They recognised him for this. All right. Yep. Valuable crew. No doubt about it. Maybe the most on the endeavour. We'll take our final break. The life and times of Tupaya and where he ended up. The Weekend Variety Wireless with Dock Edge Festival. New Zealand's premier documentary film festival. Outsiders with Jared Hindmarsh. The story of Tupaya. Such a valuable person on the crew on board. A guest, you could say, uh, from Tahiti. And just happened, no one was to know, that he could understand 
pretty well uh, what local Māori were saying and vice versa. Woohoo! What a help to have, as anyone would know who's gone overseas and has a friend who can speak the local language. <laughs> it makes a hell of a difference, doesn't it, Jared? Oh, does it ever. I've, I didn't take my wife this time to French Polynesia. Oh, my God, she can speak perfect French, so I was on the back foot this time, but, you know, it, uh, you just have to try harder. Okay. So, Tupaya in New Zealand and has already smoothed things over because he can be understood and has a fair idea of some general Polynesian cultural feelings. So, where is he now? Well, they basically went from one conflict to the next, really, and Tobias smoothing them out. In Mercury Bay, a young man who cheated Lieutenant John Gore of a dogskin cloak, he was shot dead before Tobias could intercede. And uh, in the Bay of Islands, the Endeavour suffered a massed attack on a shore party, which was prevented only by a warning broadside. You know, the fact that the Endeavour left New Zealand on the 31st of March 1770 without the loss of a single English life can be attributed purely to Tapia's prestige and diplomacy. There was no doubt about it. I would also like to put in a little bit of support for James Cook here. He was a smart cookie as well, and he absolutely deplored the loss of Maori life that happened. He was just absolutely livid about how trigger-happy some of his people were. Oh, absolutely. There was only four years' difference between Tupaya and Cook. They were born much the same time. And so, in some ways, they were kind of equals on the boat. But it went downhill pretty quick when they left New Zealand. Tupaya felt needed wanted, he was a valuable member of the crew, almost up there on a daily basis talking to Banks and Cook. But once the ship was back in the Tasman Sea after taking its final departure from the Marlborough Sounds, Tapia was met with the same indifference that had haunted him before after they left Tahiti. And um, when Cook and Banks, they finished their reports of New Zealand and its natives, Tapia was sort of of no further use to them and they got to Botany Bay and Tapia's self-respect took another blow when he was totally unable to communicate with the natives there. Yeah, so they were looking at him really as utility and didn't um, have that appreciation for what he'd actually done. Yeah, yeah, and his final month or two, it was a sad thing as the problems with shipboard food sort of remained, you know, scurvy. Tapia was was soon ill with scurvy. He, he cured himself at the Endeavour River in Australia by eating some raw fish, but the scurvy returned once the ship was back at sea by the 10th of October, and the anchor was dropped at Batavia, of course, which is Jakarta now. Tapia was very, very sick. Now, he was taken ashore by Banks, and initially Tapia felt slightly revived by just the novelty of the sights there. He was excited to be in Indonesia. He had never experienced anything like it. Right, that would be way different. Oh, totally. And, you know, to come out to the Maori in New Zealand was familiar territory for him, but Indonesia, you know, it was something else for him. Yeah. 
if you want to call it that, civilization there. Uh, the Dutch had been all over the place for ages. Yeah, exactly. And uh, But, you know, he was, still had a bad scurvy in 18 days there. He, he asked to be moved to a seaman's camp on... Um, Cooper Island, where he could see the ocean. He knew now that he was going to die, and Tayata, who was still with him, his apprentice, he had bad scurvy too, and he died on the 9th of November, and it broke the last of Tobias' spirit, they said. And on the 11th of November, 1770, Banks came back to see Tapia, and he recorded that he had passed away. Both Tahitians were buried on the island, or was used to be called Edom, but now known as Damar Bissar. And they were in a grave that's totally been lost now. No one knows where it is. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, Tapia really, his only memorial in that voyage is an entry in Cook's journal dated the 26th of December, 1770. Cook gave him two lines, Graham, mm. and he said he was a shrewd, sensible, ingenious man, but proud and obstinate, which often made his situation on board both disagreeable to himself and those about him, intended much to promote the diseases which put a period to his life. So, a remarkable story, it really is. Were they intending to drop him back to Tahiti at some stage? Oh, look, it's debatable, Graham. They weren't going to go back there. They were heading back to London. I think they were going to drop him in Indonesia and he could maybe make his way back, being a navigator in some way, mm-hmm. um, or maybe convince people. But as soon as he was sick, they just dumped him, really. It was a sad thing, and I think it says a lot, doesn't it, really, for that relationship that exists, you know, colonial sort of use of people, if you like. When it's convenient, it's convenient, and when it's not, they get uh, sidestepped. It gets shafted. Exactly. Oh, well, the story of Tupaya. What amazing times. He witnessed that meeting. It was not just a meeting of two vastly different cultures. It was a re-meeting of two relatively similar ones after maybe 500 years. Yeah, and you couldn't have got a better person to accompany you, there's no doubt. I wouldn't say 500 years when I think about it, 1769. They reckon voyaging may have stopped around 1500, but they were definitely going back and forth. Right. Perhaps 300 years. But the remarkable thing I think about Tupaya is just how well he adapted on that boat. He was the person. They couldn't have selected a better person to take with them. We're going to hear a lot more about Tupaya during the Cook's 250 celebrations. One of the reasons I wanted to do this this interview about Tupaya a little bit earlier than the 250 celebrations in 2019 is that we will hear a lot about Tupaya, but we'll also hear a terrific amount about Cook. And I find with these events, Graham, whether it's Anzac Day or Cook's 250 or anything else, they're kind of politically strategised and mapped out. And there's so much media comes out about them. Every journalist in New Zealand seems to be producing stories. They kind of overwhelm people. At the end, you think, oh, God, thank God the Olympics is over, or thank God that Cook's 250 is over, or thank God Anzac Day's over. I think sometimes we should have a more measured approach to telling our stories. Spread them out more. If this Tapia story is told in the middle of Cook's 250, it'll be lost. And I think I wanted to get in there early.
and nothing like being informed before the damn thing lands. No, and you watched already on the TV the other night, uh, there were quite a few Maori talking on the TV about how they don't want to celebrate Cook coming. He wasn't the discoverer of New Zealand as we were taught or whatever. It's not quite true, of course. No one's ever said he was a discoverer. I saw that on the uh, news as well. I haven't heard anyone say that no. since about 19... 19- I don't know, mid-70s, an old guy might have said it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, we've all got the picture now. Cook was the first European who came and landed. Abel Tasman was the first who came and fled, you know? Yeah, That's yeah, what we, we know. Yeah, that, that's right. And I also heard somebody um, railing against Captain Cook saying he was a syphilitic murderous pirate. Yes, I know. It's absolutely crazy. You know, he was enlightened. He really was cook. He was a great... Reasonably. For his time, he was quite bloody amazing, actually. Oh, he was. And, you know, there was an anthropological conference recently in Wellington, and one speaker talked about how our our early history has been... uh, We've got to be careful. It's not captured by the participants, as they call them. And I think we have to be very careful of this now, whether it's iwi or the ministry of culture or anyone else you know we've got to have an open mind to things and get things scientifically scrutinized it's very important and this is the best record we can leave for the next generation one other thing that i've read about tupaya his powers of translation also diminished somewhat when in the south island Oh, isn't that interesting? Yes, because they had a different dialect, didn't they? Re- well, that's why it's our rocky and not our rungy. Exactly. Uh, but think what the accent, how different they would have been in the day. Yeah, yeah. Okay, good stuff, Jared. Thank you very much. And may I say, well timed. Thank you, Graham. And if you're listening in the future, yeah, 2019, the 250th anniversary of the Endeavours Voyage to New Zealand, the first time European and New Zealand Polynesian life made contact that would stick, for good or bad.
thank you all very much for listening this evening. And don't forget the outsiders, if this is the sort of thing that you like. Man, there's plenty more where that came from. Um, Jared has been doing this for quite a while now, and he's he hasn't run out of breath. We'll be doing another fresh outsider next week. I think he's looking at Takuti. Or have I let the cat out of the bag? Um, okay. Yeah, well, I hope you've had an enjoyable evening listening to the radio show. You can listen back to most of the articles. They'll be published oh, sometime on Monday. And also there's the podcast if you just want to go to the podcast thing of your choice. There are a whole lot of um, options for doing this. You can go to the Weekend Variety Wireless webpage and look at them all. The podcasts are all published hour by hour for a Saturday and a Sunday. All right, we'll be back next Saturday and Sunday from 8 o'clock till midnight, the Weekend Variety Wireless. Thank you so much. There's the Facebook page as well. You can go there and join the community of uh, folk where you can have your say, ask Max a question or tell Divvig why, sh- why he should shut up or why he should carry on, which is the topic of the weekend. Oh, it has been of the week, actually. It's a great little community uh, there on the Facebook page. I'm sure it'll go to hell very shortly. It's midnight. Thank you all again. Good evening.